0: They say seven is a perfect number, so it shouldn't be out of place if you record this the perfect episode of the Scoreboard podcast. It is episode number seven of this podcast, and we're back like we never left. Welcome on board this week again your weekly dose of uh, the best pod talk if you like to call it that way and uh, let me just use this medium to also welcome our new listeners we got a couple of new listeners this past week welcome you and uh, let me just tell you to go back to the previous episodes and check out what you've missed you've not missed so much but you'll be doing yourself a great disservice if you fail to listen to all of those episodes so go back and listen, and I don't do this alone. Marshall, the usual suspect, joins me.
1: Thank you very much, Olalua, and it's a pleasure joining you on this episode, and I really hope it is the perfect episode, and like I always often say, I hope the listeners enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoy talking about it.
0: All right, so we go straight into it right about now. We've seen AJ Yusik. I really don't know how to feel. I I, I want to feel like a new track but the Nigerian in me feels otherwise. I I was having a conversation with someone earlier this week, and I said since that, AJ Ruiz won. He looks vulnerable going into each fight every time from then. Let me hear your thoughts about this. Uh, Would you say AJ really lost his invisibility? Let's start from there.
1: Well, the thing about heavyweight division and the thing about boxing in general is that the rule of thumb is you don't lose because once you lose it not only it not only gives off that air of oh this guy is actually not as invincible as we thought but then it gives everyone an opportunity to take a shot at you and that was what we saw with Usyk and Anthony Joshua now if AJ had never lost coming into this bout he would never have needed to change his style he would never have needed to diversify now if you would and he would have had a lot more thoughts at bringing down Usyk now I'm not taking Usyk as a fighter down because he is a very very strong man I mean Usyk anyone who knows Usyk knows that this guy is the real deal I mean he has a lot of skill he knows how to outclass his opponents most of his fights so he's not exactly someone who you joke with but the truth is that Anthony Joshua has really changed his game, you know. Before the bout against Ruiz, you know, he wanted to make it a lot more entertaining. He wanted to make it a lot more box office thing, you know. So he wanted to take off that brute force that he always used to fight with. And that's not what you want if you are in the heavyweight division. Because this is a division that you don't need to go to 12 rounds. It's just one knockout. And that's all it needs. I mean, you look through most of the boxers who have made their name in this game a lot of their fights are littered with knockouts and early on in anthony joshua's boxing career he used to have a lot of knockouts i mean that was how he developed his name you know who can forget what he did to the Clitch code joseph parker and everyone was just sitting back taking notice and like oh this guy is actually doing a lot of good work right there in the heavyweight division i mean holding uh, the belts and everyone's thinking this guy can actually take a shot at the end Wilder because Wilder was the one who had been doing his own thing in the other side, you know, defeating everyone who was there to stand in front of him. And so he was more like Anthony Joshua was being propped up, you know, for that one. So when his bout with Big Baby Miller was called off due to uh, Jared's use of banned substances, everyone just felt, just put someone in line and let's get this over with, so we can focus on the real thing, which is Deontay Wilder, but then he brought on AJ. He brought on Ruiz and Andy. outclassed clashed him, but then there was a rematch, and then he defeated and he got back his belts. And the next fight was supposed to be against Tyson Fury. You know, Battle of Britain, and everyone was looking up to it. and Let's see what AJ actually does in this one, because we all know the kind of fighter or boxer, that Fury is very, very skilled. Packs a punch. Understands the technicalities, and for a big man, he moves his feet very, very fast. So it was really surprising when the whole thing had to be called off due to the uh, trilogy that had that was in the contract for Deontay and, and Tyson, and it brought up the, the bout between Anthony Joshua and Usyk. And for Alexander, this was not one that was kind of expected because everyone had been propping up the battle of Britain. So coming into that one, it was kind of difficult to see Usyk as an actual challenger, you know, it was supposed to be a stopgap, you know, just to wear your appetites before we get to the big one, which is AJ Fury, you know, Battle of Britain and all. And just like it happened the last time, Usyk defeated him. And it's not even for a want of quality or for want of power, you know. Anthony Joshua looked like, at least from the look of things, like he gave it his all. It looked like he he was up for the fight, but he just met someone who outclassed him. And the big question is, does he attack with all of his power? Does he go packing a punch, or does he go with the technicalities and trying to evade and hope to wear the other guy out and then knock him out later in the bout? You know, those are some of the things he's looking like he, he has to, to to guard against or he has to do. And Yusik is a South Pole that he really does not care, you know, he's going all out, he's a brute, brute uh, a person and the kind of power that Yusik has, I mean, if you know anything or two about boxing, you know that the Ukrainians really love their boxing, I mean, these are guys who know what it means, like, they know what it means to win, they know what it means to, to pack a punch and I mean, those of us who watch movies know, wants to see a soviet person or a russian person speaking you're like this guy's here to to beat the shit out of anybody and that's what uh, Usyk did you know taking uh, the belts back to ukraine of course there's going to be a rematch. of course there's going to be another one but then for Anthony joshua who supposedly has big dreams you know being boxing's first billionaire you know this is not how to build a legacy this is not how to build up excitement for your bout this is not how to you know garner attention yeah you might say uh, you would say this is just him uh, being human, everyone can be beaten but in boxing you don't get beat and that's why Till did anyway, that still stands on his record I mean he never lost a bout yeah some say he ran away from opponents some say he wasn't always fighting opponents at the peak of their powers and all, but what you cannot deny is that the man went undefeated and if you go 49 or 50 bouts if you're counting the last one as, uh, as a bout now if you go that amount of bout without losing it shows you you actually have some special qualities and what this would do is that it would not only delay uh the battle of britain between anthony joshua and tyson fury it would also mean that anthony joshua now becomes not the defending champion but the challenger and I see is going into that rematch as an underdog and that's not really something we've come to expect of anthony especially in his early boxing career
0: now you talked about stop gaps Andy Ruiz like you mentioned was meant to be a stopgap for Alexander Usyk to another stopgap now it looks like the stopgaps have become that uh, bone in Anthony Joshua's throat right now. Uh, would you put it down to AJ maybe not prepared enough for all of these guys or probably just underwriting his opponents? Because going into that bout against Andy Ruiz, it was, okay, this guy's just meant to come replace Jared Big Baby Miller and uh, it doesn't really look physically good enough to stand Anthony Joshua's powers. But we also what ended it and looking at uh his uh opponents i'm talking about yusik right now his recent opponents he's not a natural heavyweight he had to pack up a lot of weights heading into that division of course you would say he's one to bout in that division but you still can not put him down as a natural heavyweight he's coming up the ranks to come and fight in that division i put a question to you again would you put that down to aj not prepared for uh his opponents enough or just underwriting them
1: Talking about AJ and talking about his preparation coming into that one what I feel like a lot of people really do not know or do not expect or did not even expect even AJ himself probably did not expect is that Usyk would come out of the gates fighting and that's something that Anthony Joshua has not really had to deal with a lot probably because he's faced guys who really were not as strong as he is or he has faced guys who have not packs the kind of punch that Usyk packs because Usyk is not a small guy I mean this guy is a pound for pound guy he knows his onions and he's very very good at what he does I mean for AJ look at there were times when he had a chance to actually give a punch of his own and then he would throw one he would miss it's not because he he didn't expect it to to hit where it was going or to land on uh, Usyk's face but because Usyk was actually very, very good at what he was doing. Taking himself out of the uh, firing line and returning with punches of his own. I mean, it's, it can be really, really demoralizing when you throw a big shot and then you miss. And not only do you miss, but then you get hit in return. That's not that's not how it works. And there were times when AG was looking like he could really hit Usyk. And then Usyk could not only dodge it. But then he would hit AJ really hard. There was a time when AJ had a very, very big monster shot. And I felt like, okay, this is going straight to the face. And then almost immediately, Usyk dodged it and returned one on, on AJ's face. And that's not how AJ has always had it. He's mostly always had it his way. And he's always doing, if I'm going all out, if there's supposed to be a counter attack, I'm supposed to be stopping it. But because he felt like it's Usyk, it's a stopgap, it's not really the kind of level that he is at. So he felt he could just go out there, do something and save all of his energy, save all of his tactics for the main one. I felt like it was gross from him, from his uh, management team, and because it's not something you expect from someone who has been improving his game all along. You know, he's been on several fronts talking about several other things and his boxing should be a lot better than than it currently is, especially if you're going up against someone who had to step up into your division, who actually came into that about lighter than you are, which means you're more a uh, bigger guy. I feel like AJ really underestimated the kind of power that uh, Usyk packs and for some who, who don't know, Usyk has been boxing bigger opponents for a very long time now. Not bigger in terms of uh the division and all but bigger in terms of these guys are weighing heavier than he is you know i mean aj is taller aj is bigger i mean he has more weight but then usik is more skilled and this this is this is what what it is i mean when uh usik when ej lost to ruiz i mean it was all on about then that uh, Alexander Usyk usik was really really fuming because me felt like that was his shot you know he also threw his hat in the ring to uh to box uh aj back then when his bout with uh big baby miller was cancelled and there were a lot of people who were thinking usik could have really been that guy you know propping superstar i mean we saw what that bout helped we saw how that bout helped uh andy Ruiz's career prior to that bout, a lot of people didn't know andy ruiz didn't know who he was but then suddenly after he
0: literally liberated Andrews Jr. Like he changed yeah, his life,
1: changed his career, yeah, that was, that's the thing. I mean, after that bout between AJ and Ruiz, Usyk was reportedly fuming in uh, the Madison Square Garden because he felt like that should have been him, you know, that was his shot at superstardom. If he was the one who had defeated AJ, I mean, he would have been uh, more of a household name and all of that. And last night his chance came grabbed with both hands. So absolutely pumped for Usyk, but the truth is that AJ really did not come into this one as as well as he should have and the longer this continues to happen people begin to wonder what exactly is the hype around this guy Kane. what exactly is he doing to deserve this kind of hype is it because he's defeating or is it because he defeated uh over the hill klitsko brothers or joseph parker who's not anywhere near at uh, the level he should be or you know a lot of things start getting thrown out and you know if you're in the heavy division you really don't want a lot of dirt on your name because it not only soils your ratings, especially in the box office, you know, pound for pound, everyone starts to look. And if you're to be ranked, your your scaling falls down really, really fast.
0: Let's also look at it from this angle. It looks like AG has really changed his approach ever since losing that uh bout with andy race jr the first uh, other bout that i lost against andy race jr he became more conservative he he doesn't really go for the juggler like he wants to just punch you play with you would you put this down well
1: the thing about aj like i said at the top was that aj has always been a brute guy but then he realized that if you really are going to beat the elite guys you have to change from being just a brute to being an actual tactical and technical boxer. And that's one thing Tyson Fury has. That's one thing Deontay Wilder lacks because Wilder is also a very brute guy. So, heading into his bout with the clinch scores, you know, AJ changed his game, became a lot more calculated, became a lot more technical, moved his feet really well, you know, always t- tried to avoid getting hit. And whenever I was going to hit, he would pull a decoy, so the person doesn't know where it's coming from, and on and on. But before the battle against Ruiz, I feel like he wasn't he wasn't thinking Ruiz would give him much of a problem, and it's almost the same thing. I mean, he said it after the battle against Usyk that the Ukrainian is a superior boxer to him. It's Not because all of a sudden Usyk is the next best thing since a sliced bread, but because. AJ already lost to Ruiz and Ruiz kind of laid down the framework. If you want to beat AJ, this is how you do it. You, you not only hold up and absorb his own punches, but you ensure that whenever he's punching you, you're coming out with an attack even greater than he is. So if someone wants to hit and then he shifts back to absorb it, by the time the person is going all out, You've packed a punch of yours, and you're hitting the person. And that's what AJ repeatedly suffered at the hands of Usy because Ruiz had laid down the framework. So all that was left was from Usy to just put on a show, give him what Ruiz gave him, and that's what, that's what happened. Now, if there's a rematch, I don't know how it's going to pan out. Usy could get beat badly because AJ also packs a punch. He's very, very heavy too. Also skillful but not as skillful as Usyk. What we cannot deny is that last night Usyk gave him a masterclass. And that's just it. And like I said, it doesn't just always have to boil down to your level. At times it could be who wanted more? At times it could be focusing, you know, the level out there saying AJ took his eye off the ball, you know, focusing on the battle of Britain and all. But the truth of the matter is that. UC came into that one with a lot more to prove. U is the guy nobody knows about
0: He had... was coming to prove something and not to lose anything he wasn't gonna lose anything. AJ was the one here having a lot to lose. first a shot at the Battle of Britain. the second is belts
1: yeah because not only did not only did he lose the Battle of Britain bout right now. It makes it it makes it even harder for them to, to reschedule because now he's going to have a rematch with Usyk and then he he just hopes he doesn't lose it because that was something that that would change that was that was a battle that really should have just happened and then you'd focus on the next one. You know it's like it's like having a Carabao Cup game before a Champions League game. And you're thinking, okay man, it's the Carabao Cup I can just go out there, you know, relax, freestyle. And then when the Champions League comes around, I put in all of my energy. And then you get beat in the Carabao Cup. You know, it's not it's not new. It's not the first time it's happening. It's not the first time we've seen that kind of thing happening. And that's what's happening with AJ. And like I said, the longer it continues to happen, more and more you would start to see talk about where well, is AJ actually worth all of these valuations that has been has been put on him. I mean Isik was very, very clever. It was tricky. He lasted really well, and even when it was looking like he would knock AJ out, he wasn't, you know, going out there to kill it off because he's smart. He knows he knows what he needs to do. I mean, AJ had just one job because the first eight, seven, first seven, eight, nine rounds, it was obvious that AJ was just not at it, and if eventually aj lost on the judge's scorecard but he finally got knocked out so if he was going to win that bout the only way he would have won it was to knock him out and i mean when was the last time AJ actually knocked someone out like knock out not judge's decision or judge's scorecard when was the last time he knocked someone out it's it's been a very very long time and that's the issue you know he, he wants to change his game from being the brute force guy to being the tactical, technical guy. But then he's losing the brute force that gave him that acclaim in the first instance. And that's, unfortunately, not how it works.
0: Okay. Well, with him losing that brute force, let's bring it down to AJ's personality. I, I was telling someone AJ looks too refined to be a heavyweight boxer from the thrash talk, to to everything they do, it, it, it looks like someone who is just wants to live the baby boy life and still wants to be a boxer. It looks like Floyd <laughs> Mayweather in the heavyweight division. But Mayweather even it, it, it does dirty things. Look at look at yeah. look at the heavyweight boxers that we know. At least look at the heavyweight boxers right now. Look at Tyson Fury. Look at Deontay Wilder. Look at what these guys oh, say okay. press conferences. Well yeah. AJ will just go there, the fine. You, know boy.
1: That, that's the thing. you know that that's the thing when, when you when you're a Nigerian, you know, they always teach you respect everybody, you know, don't abuse anybody's parents, you know. So <laughs> that's that's on the lighter note though. But then AJ looks like someone that has a lot of home training, you know. So, <laughs> so he finds it <laughs> so he kind of finds it very difficult to you know trash talk guys to say a lot of crap you know, and that's often what makes those guys pumped up. I mean, you know, going out there, saying things they would do to their opponents.
0: Lots fear in the mind of your opponents. Yeah you, you know, not only,
1: yeah, you know, not only, not only putting fear in their mind, but like hyping up the bout. So people know this is what is coming. People know this is how it's going to look like. And they cannot wait to see you fulfill all the promises you made. So even if you don't fulfill <laughs> it, I mean, you know, so the thing, the thing with AJ is that AJ is a calm guy, he doesn't have problem, he doesn't really want to stress anyone. So he just wants to, you know, box, collect his money, enjoy his life, you know, eat a bar and be okay. But in the heavyweight in the heavyweight world, it's it's a lot difficult, especially when you're facing guys who really have nothing to lose. I mean Alexander Usyk coming into this bout was 18 and 0. He had not lost, but he was willing to put everything on the line just to defeat Anthony Joshua. And for Anthony Joshua, he's still more of a calm guy. And I, I hope that this bout changes him because, you know, like it is for most of those boxers, an event happens either in their lives or in their boxing careers, and then it changes them from who they are to something totally different. And that's where I feel. Anthony Joshua really needs to work on because if he's going to continue being the cool calm guy you know there are times when there's this internal anger that fuels these boxers because they're so angry they to, I mean I was listening to it's been a while back now but I was listening to a press conference by a player and he was asked why did you always is a basketballer by the way he was asked, Why do you always go into games with so much anger and so much fury? And he says, I imagine my mom sitting courtside, and then all the opposition players went there and slapped her one after the other. So that's the kind of anger that she sees that fuels him. And that's the kind of anger that AJ doesn't have or doesn't look like he, ha- he won.
0: Look at Jarrell Miller before that that it took the intervention of Jerabella to bring fire to that to that press conference. I mean AJ AJ looks so refined for me and I feel like he's a kind guy. I wouldn't I
1: wouldn't I wouldn't take it past home training honestly. You know that's 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 where I I really think it it all lies because you know there are people who are just wired differently. There are people who unless there's anger coming through them it doesn't fool them and that's why we often hear these people outside of that circus which is the ring or the uh, post uh, pre bout presser and you're like is this the same guy is this the same person it's because when they step into the ring or on the court or on the pitch you know that anger just starts to flow them and that's what pushes their performances even higher than usually would be capable of and honestly for anthony joshua i really hope he takes this as a challenge but if he doesn't realize it has happened the first time it has happened second time now and whether he likes it or not i mean eyes are going to be trained away from him if there's someone coming up in the division who's looking like okay this guy could pack a punch and this guy could really be that guy I mean, everyone looks away from Martin Joshua and all of a sudden he has to come up through this crappy heap all over again. So that's why the rematch with Oleksandr Usyk is very, very important. Because if he loses that rematch, then we'll have a problem. We'll have a problem. And like Remini said, we have a problem.
0: <laughs> I'm talking about problem. I, I, I feel there is a problem in the heavyweight division right now. Because Usyk is in the conversation already. Major conversation and look at it. Look at that triangle or a square. There is a uh, Alexander music on one side. There is Tyson Fury on another side. Deontay Wilder still wants to fight, and there is Anthony Joshua in the picture. If he loses, that means we might not see the battle of the Brits. And it sounds like someone that is even ready to lose because he said after the fight that. would fight Tyson Fury regardless even if he has a belt or not that that battle of breaks is definitely going to happen and I begin to wonder how is this guy talking like this because look at look at Wilder Wilder Tyson Fury already moved on from Wilder Wilder forced him we must fight and Joshua doesn't look like someone that can pull that kind of string
1: yeah the thing is that I mean there's it's a rematch clause, so he was it was always coming the first one was widely considered a Tyson Fury victory but because it didn't end in knockouts the judges ruled their scorecards and it was seen as a draw and that's why they had the rematch and in the rematch Fury of course knocked him out, punched him, blew out his ears so that was definitely no one he could have had anything to say about and then uh, Deontay Wilder According to what he said was in his contract, has a clause for a rematch if either of them loses and feels like I really should have won, or I feel or they feel like I want to take it up again, and that was what was in the contract, and it was pulled out and it was confirmed. Now that would mean more a pocket for both boxes, but it would also mean that the Battle of Britain would have to be shifted back. Now. If the trilogy between wilder and fury was not set to happen then this battle between aj and usik would also probably never happened now now that the one between usik and aj has happened the one between fury and wilder is also set to happen aj has to defeat Usyk to reclaim his three belts fury has to defeat wilder to retain his belt and both of them have to fight for who will be the undisputed heavyweight boxing champion but if both of them loses their belts then if the, the bout would not really be as much as it really should be because ideally how it should be is i mean all the bets are on the line he has three belts aj Tyson Fury has one, and if you're going to be the undisputed, you have to hold all four. And if Fury doesn't have any, if AJ doesn't have any, then what exactly is he is he holding? I mean, there was a time when Tyson Fury was the undisputed heavyweight champion, unified everything the WBA, the IBF, WBO, IBO, and that's the difference between himself and AJ because AJ has never unified at all I mean Tyson Fury dictated kids go back in 2015 and held all the heavyweights but then because of what happened to him suffered you know the issue with his mental health he refused to fight and then he lost them and then AJ came up picked it up and did his own thing but if he's fighting Fury without the belts then what exactly would the fight's legacy be, when Fury defeated uh, Vladimir Klitschko in 2015, he unified all the titles. So if AJ doesn't have the three belts, if Fury still probably has one belt, if AJ wins, he just has one, he doesn't have all four and what are the chances that he would fight against the person who has the three and if probably by that time Usyk has lost to someone else, so he has to fight that person. For the unified world heavyweight champion, and then he doesn't have as much glamour as it is. So ideally, how we should be is Fury defeating Wilder in the trilogy, and AJ defeating Usyk in the rematch, so that both of them, AJ and Fury, can then fight for uh, the unified world championship, and that's going to get a lot of not only media attention but a lot of talk because Fury will be going to repeat as the unified a world champion in the heavyweight division and Anthony Joshua will be going for the first time so and apart from me being the battle of britain I and mean, between the two british guys Fury, furious a lot of stuff about Anthony Joshua it would also mean that they will be fighting for something that means a lot you know if you're fighting without belts i mean why exactly are you fighting you're not you're not the malian so
0: i see what you there <laughs> <laughs> all right i i I really wish we could continue with this conversation but let's switch attention to formula one after the unfortunate incident of the last time out uh we're set to see another formula one race this time in sochi russia and uh unfortunate for max Verstappen, starting at the back of the grid i really don't understand what mercedes has set out to do by just getting a new engine for valteri Bottas, for louisa Hamilton is starting bottom on the grid and the the positioning it looks very 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 weird with a uh, lando norris in pole with uh a lot signs. Okay. signs yeah and uh, we'll have george russell of uh, williams in third followed by louisa Hamilton, and on and on like that daniel ricardo and the rest of the park or what would you say is a Mercedes game plan? Or let, let's look at the scenarios for this race.
1: Yeah, it's it's very funny because coming into that race, you know, uh Valtteri Bottas took an engine penalty heading into Monza. So he started from the back of the grid. And with all issue with his car, that's Max Vesterpen's car now, heading into Sochi... All of a sudden, Valtteri Bottas has been told, get a new engine. So what a lot of people think is going to happen is that because Max Verstappen will be starting from the back of the grid, not only does he have a 3 place grid penalty, he's, starting, he's taking a new engine, which means he has to start from the back of the grid. So what Red Bull wanted to do is, they wanted to take both penalties in one race. So if you use three engines, three engines is the maximum. But if you use four engines, you have to take an engine penalty. So you start from the back of the grid. And that's why Max is starting from the back of the grid. So it's always like, instead of starting, instead of taking the three place grid penalty in Russia, why not take the engine penalty now and take it alongside the three place grid penalty. And then he use this engine for the rest of the season. But what it also doesn't take into consideration is the fact that other teams could also decide, you know what, would also take an engine penalty too. So if there was no engine penalty, it puts him on a different race streak to all other drivers. Where he can start with the hard tyre, he can start with the medium tyre, go very, very long. And then when others have pitted, he will still be out there, you know, pushing his times, coming to the pits, change his tyres. And we'll probably even come out either ahead of them or at some point before them. So, if you're going to be blowing through the field, there's going to be relatively no opposition. But if there's a Mercedes a few car lengths ahead of you, you're going to have a lot of opposition, you're going to be held up a lot, and you could potentially crash. And Max Verstappen is the kind of driver who does not calm down in the opening laps. He wants to make if he's starting on pole, he wants to just blaze into the distance. If he's not starting on pole, if he's starting probably second or third, he wants to just get into the front and go on like that, which is very, very different from what almost other drivers would do. You know, they'd be a little calm, try yeah, try to make places, but then not going with a hot head of steam. And that is what Max Verstappen is very, very likely going to do. You know, go into... Because starting 20th, you want to make as many places as possible. And those drivers in the midfield, they don't care about anybody. You know, they, they don't they don't have high aspirations. They don't want to win, like win the championship. They're just there to race, have fun, to get as many they, points as
0: they possible. Are the, they are the the juniors of the... Uh, yeah, you
1: know, of the Formula 1's <laughs> helping with division. <laughs> so they are just, they're just there to have fun you know get at getting to the point you know if they get one or two points they are happy but max has bigger goals you know he's competing for the drivers championships so if he has to plow through the, uh, the pack and there's a certain voucher boaters waiting in front of you delaying you at almost every point is going to be a lot and secondly for mercedes they want to see what it looks like if you change your engine now how long would it take the car to acclimatize how long would it take you to get up to speed where would the engine start to drop off almost immediately so that's what they want to see before because it's eventual at some point you have to change engines i mean if the engine has been in use for a while it gets to the point where you're like okay we have to change this engine we have to add something we have to do this and i was listening to the world after the italian grand prix saying it's not compulsory, Louis takes a new engine in before the end of the season and I was just laughing because it is almost impossible, Like no matter how hard you try, you just have to get that engine because others are going to be seeing the effect of their new engines and if the team is lost without that engine it becomes really really problematic and that is why I think in one of the races to come you might see is also take an engine penalty. But then if they don't take it, that would be really, really brave of them. But for today's race, what it is just all about is Max Verstappen is towards the back of the grid. We should have someone there who delay him for us. I mean, it's not like... Uh, valtteri is going to be in mercedes next season so he really doesn't he really doesn't have a new contract to fight for or stuff like that
0: all well, right let's dilute this show with football we'll, we'll talk the real football and we'll talk the other football i'm sure you know what i mean <laughs> ronald Koeman's time at barcelona it, it looks like it's uh dragging towards an end if everything we are hearing is anything to go by but literally Barcelona cannot afford to even sack Ronald Koeman. When I say literally, I mean they can't even afford it. They cannot give him the money, the compensation package now, if they sack him today. And I think that has been the reason why they can't even sack him. It's been a run of poor results for Barcelona. I I really don't know they would be in this situation years back. But unfortunately, they are in that situation. Now, would you put this down to Ronald Kuma not being tactical enough to make do with the resources on the ground, or the playing staff they have they are not just good enough to compete at the topmost level?
1: Well, it's a combination of a lot of factors. And firstly, I think the playing staff used to be good, but then with the whole financial issues over there, the Catalan Giants, it became even worse. And that's why we've seen a lot of departures in the recent past. I mean, after I'm even talking
0: about the playing stuff yes, they have, right? Yes,
1: it's, it's, it's a mixture of everything. Because ideally, when you sign a player for the future, or when you sign a player who you think would be with you for the long... I mean, if, if they didn't have financial issues, right? There is no way like Messi would not, still be like no way would not still be at Barcelona. There is no way Luis Suarez would not still be at Barcelona. There's probably no way also that Antoine Griezmann would not still be at Barcelona. So it's because of the financial issues they've had, that's why their playing staff is not as good as it is, or it's not as good as it should be, because slowly or surely, it's been coming. I mean, before Batumio handed over, I mean, four years ago, yeah, four years ago was 2018-2019 season was, or 17 season when they started to make some really financial shady decisions shortly after Luis Enrique's contract expired and then they hired uh, Ernesto Valverde now Ernesto Valverde is not a bad manager by any stretch of the imagination he's quite good at what he does but then he's probably not suited to the Barcelona style and then he kind of flared to purchase and you're wondering what exactly is going on and then they started to mismanage money on an astronomical level and that was when the problems began and ever since it's been launching from one disaster to the other which has now resulted in the playing score we see today I mean you look at the Barcelona squad, and you can't even point to a player who is in the top three in his position worldwide and that's a very very big question mark for the board and you know it kind of spills onto the manager because the manager can only make good with what he has. And if you know Ronald Kuman you know he's a very, very stubborn man. You know he's set in his ways; he doesn't change for almost anything, and he doesn't but like
0: that's him. One thing about Dutch managers reminds me of Louis van Gaal too.
1: It's a lot of it's a lot of them. I mean, Frank Reichardt had the same issue. Frank de Boer had the same issues. And although we really don't know a lot about Eric ten Hag's coaching. We, we don't know. I mean, from his press conferences and all, until he manages an elite club, we never can say. But you know, most of the Dutch managers I know. I mean, even the late great uh, Johan Cruyff, he had that in him too. You know? you know, even when it is when it looks for all the world that it's not working, and then they come out and defend it. You know, their philosophy and all. I mean, throwback to the days of Van Gaal pressing on and on about his philosophy. Well for ronald coleman his his own inability to get out of his own way has also i've been a part of this i mean make some outrageous statements because he knows they can't even afford like you already said to fire him it's going to cost 12 million euros to fire him and right now barcelona are in their straits. they can't they can't do that because you're literally paying someone to leave you i mean if i saw who would pay me to leave i mean I would look for those kind of people all day long because you don't find them. And it's a dilemma that at Barcelona are in because even those who could potentially take over, they are in relatively good situations. I mean the Eric Ten Hags, even Xavi is in a good situation over there in Qatar. And according to reports I'm getting from Spain, he doesn't want to take over mid-season from and uh, from Ronald Koeman, which was also the same thing he had when Ernesto Valverde was to be fired or take over season and he said no, if he wants to start, he starts anew, he starts at the start, at the beginning of the season. But for Barcelona, you know, having to deal with all of this can be very, very stressful because every little mistake or every little game that is being played gets seen as this big thing. So. Mistakes cannot even be made. You know, I mean, you saw the game against Cardiff. It was a ball draw, a goal draw. It was even looking for all the world that Cardiff would win at some point. The game against Etafe at the Camp Nou, you know. It's not what you associate with FC Barcelona. You know, losing against Getafe. Eventually, they rustled out the draw, let go from Araujo. But it's not what you want from Barcelona. And especially when the club is under this kind of pressure. Yeah, a lot of players have been injured. You know, battling issues here and there. But the truth is, they've been under par, and that's just the truth. You know, if the team has been subpar, the team has been subpar. It doesn't have uh, any two names. It doesn't have any two minutes. And and for the kind of players they have, it's not good enough. Fine, but they really should be winning, and that's that's just it. I mean, look at the midfield. There's a Frankie De Jong there. There's, there's Sergio Busquets there. There's a Pedro here, who is regarded tal- as one of the most talented Spanish midfielders right now. I mean, right back, there's uh, Sergio Nodes. That left back, there's a Jordi Alba. In central defence, yeah, you might say Pique is no longer at the peak of his powers, but it's still Gerard Pique. I mean, we have Ronald Araujo doing a lot of good work right there, hard of defence in the attack. Yeah, attack is kind of lagging, but I mean, they've they lay their bed they have to lie on it losing
0: nano you know, messi so by saying all of this you are putting it down to the manager you not know, being tactically astute enough you know.
1: to get the best from this squad yes he is not i mean look at their counterparts over in over in madrid atletico madrid and real madrid squad were not overly better than theirs last season and then we were comfortably ahead of them. I mean, for all the world, if Lionel Messi was not in that squad, they would have finished 10th, and that's really the truth. And it's not supposed to be, especially for a club like Barcelona. I mean, when Real Madrid lost uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, a lot of people even wondered whether they would ever qualify for the Champions League. And not only have they qualified for the Champions League, I mean, they won the league season two years ago, and last season, up until the last day of the season, they were still in the title race. So for Ronald Koeman, what he has to do now, he has to prove that the team is bigger than the sum of his parts. And secondly, he has to prove that he is tactically proficient enough to cover any of the things that we're seeing from them. And that's just what he has to
0: do all right let's talk about the other football i'm talking about american football right now for top brady he's uh heading to Hollywood. actually this weekend he's ticked a lot of boxes during his career but i think playing in los angeles is uh, actually, not one of them, but that will change this uh, weekend when uh, the seven-time Super Bowl champion will actually head to the Hollywood Astana as We face Los Angeles Rams. Just in the same vein, so let's talk about another man, Aaron Rodgers, uh, the quarterback for Green Bay Packers. He wants to win now. I mean, he's uh, forced his way out of uh, Wisconsin because uh, they've had a lot of uh, issues in the offseason. In. And uh, right now, let's uh, talk about Aaron Rodgers and the uh, Green Bay Packers, what they are having right now. And uh, some somewhere in the picture, we have the F- San Francisco 49ers. Yeah,
1: for Tom Brady, I'm sure he hopes that the match uh, right there in LA will not be his last in LA this season. Because the Super Bowl is set to be held in LA that's the... A Rams a, a stadium and that's one thing and also secondly for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing against the early Rams I mean the early Rams are 2 O. they are currently doing very very well for themselves right there in the west division of the NFC and they have a lot of players who can do damage for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Aaron Donald is one very very defensive tackler he sacks quarterbacks a lot uh, with Bruce Arians' style, or the Tampa Bay of no risk, it, no biscuits, it can be difficult to not get sacked. So, we have to watch that uh, matchup between Bruce Arians and Sean McVeigh, uh, who is the head coach of the early Rams. And I'm sure that match will be won for the ages Very, very exciting. And quite surprisingly, nearly all of the games this season have been very, very, very interesting end to end stuff, actions, touchdowns. You know, I was seeing the game between uh, the box and the Falcons last weekend, and I was shocked because, trust me, t- Tom Brady is just in a league of his own. The game also between uh, Lamar and Mahomes, you know, NFL six thirty-five, very exciting game. And like you also mentioned, Aaron Rodgers, the bad man of the Green Bay Packers. For for Green Bay, they've been trying to push out Aaron Rodgers the same way they did for Brett Favre now. 2003, they drafted Aaron Rodgers. But they still had a certain Brett Favre who was very, very good in their ranks. And Brett Favre was the main man. And the reason why they drafted Aaron Rodgers was to show Brett Favre that, Look, you're not eternal. We have to think of the future. We have to think of life without you. And that's what we will continue to do. And Brett Favre came out and said he wasn't having that. Aaron Rodgers should be traded but well, they didn't and after three years of sitting on the bench they finally got Brett sold or oh, they didn't they didn't renew his contract and Aaron Rodgers became the main man and Aaron Rodgers has been the main man up until last season at the start of last season Green Bay Packers did to Aaron Rodgers what they did to Bell Favre. they drafted Jordan Love and everyone was thinking so are they saying that Aaron is past his prime or are they trying to push him away And guess how Aaron responded? He had 50 touchdowns, had an MVP season. He, of course, won the MVP last year, led them to the uh, NFC Championship game, which shows that he has quality a lot even uh, still in him. Their first game this season, they lost it, but then they came out against the Lions and were very, very impressive in that one. And that's why for Green Bay, they have to make a choice. Now, what do we do? Do we focus on the future? Or we still hold on to this Aaron Rodgers team and try to push ourselves even to the boundary and see uh, where it takes us, because if they don't do that, it's going to be very difficult not only to win, but also to make plans, because this is the same issue that affected New England Patriots when Tom Brady was still there. you're we talking about the San Francisco 49ers, they are what about Jimmy Garoppolo, who was originally with the Patriots, and when, um, when Bill Belichick was feeling like Tom Brady was past his prime, he was trying to push him out by hiring Jimmy, by trade, by getting drafting uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady said, "No, I'm still very, very good, and I'm not going to let that happen. If you want to trade me, trade me, but I'm not going to sit for Jimmy Garoppolo to play." And when uh, the man when Bill Belichick was not listening, Tom Brady just went above his head and went to the manager, uh, to the owner of the franchise, Robert Kraft, and told him you have to trade Jimmy Garoppolo because there is no way I have won so many Super Bowls and you're bringing Jimmy Garoppolo to replace me when I'm not leaving, when I'm not injured and Jimmy Garoppolo was traded, he eventually won other Super Bowls and his contract eventually expired and he left and ever since Tom, uh, Tom Brady's old team, the New England Patriots have not been anywhere near good at all and that is why right now San Francisco 49ers, they have a good quarterback and guess what they're also doing? They're facing the same issue that Tom Brady faced because they they also drafted a new quarterback who they want to use to replace Jimmy Garoppolo. So it's just a battle of quarterbacks here and there. But I just hope that the games that will be played would actually be a lot entertaining.
0: But for, for Rogers himself, it, it looks like a man to who has so little to show for everything he's done in his career for someone. Who has been considered as one of the all-time greats as his position? He has just one Super Bowl title to, uh, to his name, and when you compare and contrast that with uh, Tom Brady, uh, you would know that it would really be hard on himself.
1: I mean, yeah, you, you could you could really see that, and the thing is, a lot of the quarterbacks really don't get to win as much as Tom Brady did, and that is what separates Tom Brady from a lot of them I mean you look across the league I mean people have more than one none I mean you look at history Joe Montana has the most had the most before Tom he had four I mean then you get to the the Manning brothers Eli Manning had two with the Giants Peyton Manning had one with the Indianapolis Colts Russell Wilson has one with the Seahawks Aaron Rodgers has one I mean Mahomes is just coming into his own but he has one you know so you look across and it's very, very difficult to actually find quarterbacks that have more than one two so winning this bubble is very very difficult but most times because of the kind of franchise they are the kind of division they are it can be very very difficult especially when you're going up against someone like say Drew Brees or Tom Brady and Drew Brees too he just retired last season he had, I think, one or two uh, with the, the Saints. So, most of the Super Bowls have just been spread across all of them. But Tom Brady, there was a time when Tom Brady was also in, in a rut, sort of, you know, when he didn't win for about 10 years. He didn't win a Super Bowl. And it's not for want of getting there. I mean, he got to the Super Bowl, but then he was always getting beat. And there were a lot of questions about whether he was even still good enough, whether he was still at his quality. But then he went on this run of, three in four years I think or four and, or three in five years you know so that's just the thing about most of these uh, quarterbacks they have other things that speak for them as against this bubble because if you want to judge just by the spot there are a lot of them who would never ever be judged well
0: from boxing to formula one to soccer and now to football i think we've really come a long way in this perfect episode it is actually the perfect episode living up to its name right now of uh, the scoreboard podcast episode seven and this is where we we'll drawing the curtains thank you Marshall, for staying there and hanging out with me on this episode of the podcast uh,
1: thank you very much uh, it is my pleasure
0: all right, we'll return again next week for another brand new episode of the show. Do subscribe and uh, share with your friends and you shall enjoy Thank you once again, Marshall. And thank you to all of you are there listening to us. We can we we'll return again next week for another episode of the show. Thank you.